everyone. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. And normally we review a movie that came out recently that the astronaut uh-huh. wouldn't have been able to see before going out into space. But today we're going to be reviewing a movie that the astronaut may very well have already seen. Possibly before they even were an adult. <laughs> possibly the astronaut has it with them yeah. right now. Yeah, that's possible. Um, and that movie is Die Hard, starring yep. Bruce Willis. And the reason we're, we're talking about this movie is that I had never seen it before. So I'm coming on. I'm coming in fresh, having just seen the movie for the first time in 2021. Um, so I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Adam, do you want to... Give us the synopsis of Die Hard. An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. There you go. So that's the synopsis. That's a pretty good synopsis. That is a very good synopsis. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> it tells you exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, so I think normally we start off with first impressions and uh you know or expectations and first impressions but in your case obviously you'd seen this movie before yes um so i'll talk about my expectations but then i'm curious for you sort of like your memory of the movie going in and like how long ago was that you'd seen it so uh i know you know i was i'm fully aware this movie is a classic uh, an action classic i don't think i had I put it this way. A lot of times when a movie's sort of a classic in its genre, um, and, you know, like everybody you know saw it when they were like a teenager or whatever. Yeah. And then it, it's kind of hard. Like, my expectations, to be honest, weren't super high. I assumed it would just be like a fun action movie. But I, I kind of would assume for normally when a person's talking about a movie from that long ago that like nostalgia plays a huge role in how much they love it. So right. I wasn't expecting to love it. I was just expecting to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I can see how people would have enjoyed that right. quite a lot back in the 80s. And now they remember it super fondly. Yeah. Um, so my expectations weren't super high, which I think is great because I did really love it. I, I, I was like coming out. I was like, you know what? That just was a really good, solid action movie, <laughs> like much better than it, it felt. uh it felt somehow, I, I don't know, it, it sounds so cliched, but it, it makes me want to say the phrase, they don't make them like that anymore. You right. know, it's kind of the yeah. phrase that comes to mind where it just felt like the movie had kind of a, a high quality, like characters, the plot was good, the action scene, like the tension was good. Um, the it's sort of like everything was done well. In, right. And if I compare it to like a movie like this today, like a movie that, that had the same premise made today starring maybe like The Rock or something. Right. I would just expect to have quite bad dialogue and just to be built around a handful of set pieces that would be full of CG. And those would be like sort of the movie's whole reason for existing. Yeah. Um, whereas this movie's reason for existing is like it's an it's an entertaining watch from start to finish. Like it's a good story. 
you know, it's right. a good story yeah. with good characters. Yeah. Um, good hero, good villain, good supporting cast. So, uh, yeah, I just really liked it a lot. I mean, I don't, I, I we'll, we'll get into, you know, the sort of the relative level of greatness of the movie. Um, but I, I liked it a lot, enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. So that's my first impressions. So how about you? Like, what was your memory of this movie? Is it a movie that you have loved and then coming into it, like how long ago did you see it and how sort of fresh was it in your mind? You know, I don't remember how old I was the first time I saw Die Hard. I want to say I was probably like an older teenager, mm-hmm. was probably like, you know, 18 or 19 years old, something like that when I saw Die Hard for the first time. Which means it and, was well, well after the movie actually came out, right? Cause, oh, for sure. Yeah. It came, came out in 1988. Okay, yeah. so yeah, we we were little kids. When I was, this came out. I was in, yeah, I was in, you know, whatever kindergarten or something. So, you know, so even when you around. saw it, even as a teenager, it was already like a decade old, probably. Yeah, it was already yeah. sort of a classic by that point. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and and it's exactly, I think, the type of movie. Like for example, um, I you know I have a lot of peers professionally who you know people will recommend movies that they you know when they hear you haven't seen them they're like oh my gosh you haven't seen such and such you Mm -hmm. definitely need to see that and I'm doing the exact same thing that you're describing in those situations most of the time where I'm like yeah that sounds like a cool movie that you liked when you were 13 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like I have those movies too right and like it, it holds a permanent place in your heart. And I'm happy for you that you have that thing, but like, there's no way it will mean the same thing yeah. to me yeah. that I will like it as much as you do. So let's just sort of like get get that notion out of our heads. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to watch this Jean Claude Van Damme movie and like love it the same way that you know somebody else did when they were 12 years old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I sort of assumed that that would be the case with a movie like Die Hard. Here I am, you know, I'm like, it's a it's a dumb action movie. I'm sure it'll be fun, but mm-hmm. like, um, and uh, for some reason, like, I have, I have loved it from the moment I saw it until <laughs> now. Um, and I think because of all the reasons that you cited, right? Like, I think it is an excellent movie. Mm-hmm and an excellent action movie. And it's um, like when I think about, you know, I think one of the reasons this movie came up in our conversations is just that we, for for whatever reason, and I feel like I'm the guilty party here, have been just watching a lot of action movies mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of am like, my recollection is that Die Hard is just a much more like satisfying meal, right? These other movies f- give you more of sort of a junk food mm. sensation. Uh, it's a steak dinner, Die Hard, and this and this just <laughs> feels like a like a nutrient rich meal, right? Despite the fact that it is like just a loud, violent action movie, it is like much yeah. more satisfying a watch than those other films, right? Like, if you ask me to watch Gunpowder Milkshake again, right? Oh yeah, or not even doing a, it. Or, or even a movie like that we watched recently that I liked more that I still feel is like an empty calorie movie like Kate, uh-huh. right? Um, I'd be like, eh, 
do I have to? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I watched Die Hard a few nights ago, and I and if you were like, let's watch Die Hard again right now, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I would like, too. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, no problem. I'll watch that again. Yeah, it reminds me, there, there's a certain, like, kind of movie, you know, uh, that you can just watch again and again. Um, like, to me, if if it weren't for you know the R-rated violence and everything, this this feels like a movie that I could see us as kids watching over and over, you know, every summer, sort of on the road, right? Because we used to watch right. movies on on like our summer vacation uh, yeah. while in the car, and this would have been totally in there. It's like quotable, yeah. you know, like the scene you sort of like look for every scene. You're sort of looking forward to the next scene. Yeah. Um, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to the, the the other movies you mentioned, but I think we I think the reason this movie came up actually uh, specifically I, I think I remember was talking about nobody and talking about him getting hurt, yeah, um, in the action scenes, and I, I I believe that's where you sort of brought up Die Hard and John McClane how that was kind of yes. you know something this movie I don't know if it pioneered it it feels like it was you know one of the it seems like one of the seminal movies where the action hero gets hurt a lot, basically. Right. Yeah. I think if you compare this to a movie like Terminator, mm-hmm. right? Like that movie very much plays directly on this notion that Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, you know, uh, too tough to kill. Mm-hmm. Right. Like too. um, well, like you think about Terminator too, because in Terminator, he's the bad guy. Well, sure. But like, but that's sort of the point. Like, He's this, uh, he's still an action star in that movie. He just happens to be the bad guy Mm. in the movie, right? But it's sort of like, but even in, but in both films, like, it's sort of like the action heroes are sort of built around this concept of being indestructible, right? And what makes Terminator 2 so, like, interesting is like, sure, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like nearly indestructible, but then he encounters a baddie in yeah um t1000 that's like yeah even more indestructible <laughs> than he is right um yeah. and so i think this stands in contrast to that right where it's like he is vi- uh bruce willis in this movie john McClane is like very concerned for his well-being yep. right yep and is like his strategy and- initially is call the cops <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't like, want to fight wanna... these bad guys myself as i'm, I'm right. totally outmatched right and so I think there's something really, um, you know, it just very, it's much more interesting to have a character who has like, uh, I know it's a, it's a Hollywood movie and I know it's unrealistic in a huge number of ways, but like, but fundamentally it's about a guy who like, he doesn't want to die, right? Yeah. He's scared of dying and doesn't want to die. Mm-hmm. And he even, I think there are moments in this movie where, you know, during certain action sequences where he literally like, says out loud is like oh please god don't let me die right now <laughs> right because this is insane what's happening right yeah. now and i just think i it's much easier as a viewer to like root for a character like that who is afraid and vulnerable but like pushes through it anyway mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so um so yeah i've loved die so hard you loved for- it just as much on this on this most recent viewing is yeah, I've loved Die Hard for for now something like twenty years plus, and um, I watching it again. It's just it it was like amazing to me 
how like I knew what was going to happen. I know what's going to happen in this movie, but I still just want to see it. Yeah. You know, how long had it been since you saw it last? I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've watched Die Hard in probably at least five years. Okay. Something like that. Did you remember, I mean, like, so when you say you knew what was going to happen, like, did you remember it very clearly or were there, was it sort of fuzzy? I I couldn't recite the movie beat by beat for you. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't be like, well, then there's the scene where this happens and then there's the scene where this happens, right? right? But, like, there was no thing that he did or that any character did in the movie where it's like, oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So you remembered it pretty well. Actually, there was, there was one, which we will get to later. Okay. That I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this plot line. Mm. Um, Oh, I think I I bet uh, I know what it is. I'm going to predict. Okay. When, when we get Uh, to it later. Um, but, but for the most part, I have a pretty, I have a pretty good recollection of how most of the stuff shakes out. Um, but even with that, it was just sort of like, I just wanted to watch each moment unfold. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about theme. I I think this movie has quite a lot in common thematically with nobody. Mm-hmm. Way more than I expected. I, I so, like so. I sort of knew the premise of the movie was like this cop, you know, sort of like hiding in a building. And taken out, like sort of picking off terrorists was sort of like mm-hmm. vaguely what I thought I knew about the movie. I had no idea. Um, there's like a big sort of like I feel like the arc, you know, if you want to call it that, of John McClane is that he's coming to to L.A. to kind of like make things right with his wife. Yeah. Who's who's you know, moved out West with the kids to pursue a career opportunity. He wasn't super supportive of it. And this is sort of, and and they're not divorced or anything, but they're like a little bit estranged and he's sort of trying to win her back. Um, and you know, over the course of the movie, basically by being like a hero who saves everybody, he kind of does win her back a little bit. And I was like, this is so much like nobody actually. (laughs) Uh Um, of just now I think that it's actually quite different in the sense that in nobody, he starts off like a wimp and, and then he, you know, learns to sort of be assertive again. And that's what gets his wife to kind of be into him again. In this movie, it's sort of like at the start, he's kind of a, uh, he's like a chauvinist, you know, husband who, who doesn't want his wife to have her own career. And, (laughs) and it's sort of, it's sort of convenient that he like, becomes more supportive over the course of the movie. Cause he really doesn't have to. The main plot is that he's taken out these terrorists, right. And saves yeah. them. And then, and then she's like, you know, she's happy to call him her husband again by the end. Um, right. and it's like, and also he's, you know, he's seen the error of his ways and he's going to make things right. But, uh, yeah. So it's yeah. got, so I feel like it's like nobody in the sense that the reason she is sort of, you know, attracted to him again by the end of the movie has more to do with him being a badass than, mm-hmm. than you know, him like learning a lesson. Uh, but he does also learn that lesson in this movie, which I think is different from nobody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think in nobody, I don't think there's any real screen time dedicated to uh, Bob Odenkirk's character feeling like resentful or jealous no. of his wife 
uh, being successful. Although right. she is like she. Um, yeah, but he's not like it's never in the movie. It's never nobody never indicates that he's not supportive of her. Right. right. It indicates that he maybe feels inadequate or that or that, you know, he isn't taken seriously. But it's it's not I feel like the movie doesn't really imply that it's in any way like because he's unhappy that his wife is successful. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it is basically. <laughs> it's directly implied, yeah. like especially through sort of the um, the motif of her last name mm-hmm. being like an important factor in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the fact that, you know, it begins with him being extremely hurt that she won't take, she, she's not using his last name. And at the end of the film, he is volunteering that her name, her last name is different Mm -hmm. from his without any sort of hint of, uh, you know, jealousy or, or, you know, hurt feelings. But of course then she subverts that and is like, no, I'm taking his last name yeah, again yeah, because yeah. he just killed a building full of terrorists. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's, a, you know, the gender politics, the gender roles of this movie are a little bit, you know, dated. Of the time. Obviously. Of the time. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of a shame to me in a way that it's uh, sort of like not super PC now, just because from a storytelling perspective, very economical (laughs) yeah it's like it's like kudos for sort of being able to communicate that idea of her like you know him coming to accept her independence and her accepting him as her like husband again in just like the simplest (laughs) you know yeah very little dialogue required right um but yeah i don't it doesn't hold up super well today but uh yeah so i think that's kind of the that seems to be the theme to me it's it's largely about a man kind of <laughs> in, in in a lot of ways i feel like the main point of this movie is like a man learning to accept his successful wife uh i yes i think it's in some ways the movie is like an extended metaphor on him being willing to do whatever it takes mm. to win her back mm. Right. Like, um, like if you think about this, you know, it's kind of nuts that if any other person who ended up in his situation in this film. So like at some point there, there's a Christmas party at, uh, his wife's company that's taking place in this skyscraper. And, uh, he finds himself like the, the, the terrorists are unaware of the fact that he is there and he like is able to escape to another floor where they do not know that he is located. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if I think any person or many people would just simply find a way to get out of the building. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they don't know I'm here, right? I'm just going to leave and go to the police, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I'll, I'll, I'll like break a window. I'll, I'll get a rope somehow, right? And I'll climb down and I'll run away, right? Because it is not worth being in a building with these killers, right? right. But he's, that was that never enters his mind at all because he's like, well, my wife is in here, yeah, and I need to like make sure that she is safe, yeah, right? That's right. And make sure, um, and this is after 
like she's very clearly said, you know, like I'm not going to come back to New York, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is where I live now. You need to get on board with this, right? And he's like he has to sort of swallow his pride and be like, yeah, I'm going to give up my you know, career as an NYPD cop and I'm going to come live in LA because that's like that's more important to me than, you know, my job, right? Yeah. And and so I think in some ways like your theme is 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 exactly right and I think there's just a little more richness added to it because it's like this entire journey that he's on is him like growing to accept that like his wife's career has equal or you know equal value to his desires for his career mm-hmm. right and that he is willing to make sacrifices or changes in his life to to be with her up to and including enduring a skyscraper full of terrorists right to make That's sure right. that she is is safe right yeah um, i mean he's 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 very very clearly risking death at many points in this movie he doesn't want to die but <laughs> right but he's there, there are things. There are ways he could behave that would reduce his chances of death much more than what he actually does in this movie. Put it that way. Yeah. Um. Okay. Are there any other sort of themes worth discussing from your perspective? Well, there's an interesting, um, like, uh, I don't think it's the point of the film at all, but there is some commentary effectively about sort of the ineffectual nature of these increasingly sort of uh increasing tiers of law enforcement yeah right yeah um it's just sort of like literally nobody from the you know whether in the lapd or the fbi right is like capable of doing anything in this circumstance and it's just like up to him like guy in building to like resolve this entire situation yeah, it feels, I mean, this feels very 80s, 90s action movie where you've sort of got like these hero characters who are competent and then just a mass of bumbling idiots for, you know, right. law enforcement or the military or whatever it might be, whatever sort of like the established, you know, the established sort of force is. You got to have that renegade who's the one who actually knows how to do anything. Um, so I agree. That seems to be a bit of a theme, too. I think it's sort of uh, I didn't necessarily view it as uh, as uh, about law enforcement, per se. It feels more like this movie is just very much a, a believer. This movie believes that there are very competent individuals and then there are like yeah. incompetent groups or like institutions. Right. Yeah. Seems to sort of be the, the vibe I get. Yeah. yeah. Um, well let's just, uh, I mean, I don't think we need to really give any spoiler warnings for this because <laughs> this movie came out in 1988. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think I'm the weird one for not having seen it. So should we just talk best parts of the movie? Yeah, I'm definitely yeah, curious, like from your perspective. So having seen the movie so long ago, like what are sort of the best parts that you remember? And did that change at all? Having seen it again? Um, so I think um, this sounds like a cop out, but one of my favorite 
aspects of this film is just how well written it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just like as a simple example, like the opening bit of the film with McLean, John McClane, Bruce Willis on an airplane, right? Gripping the armrest of his airplane seat. Mm-hmm. His seatmate is like, I have a... <laughs> I have a trick. Make right? toe fists with your toes. Yeah. Take off your socks and make fists with your toes on a on a carpet, right? It will help calm you. Mm-hmm. Right? Which seems silly, but fine. Whatever. It's the opening. It's a it's a a way to humanize Bruce Willis in this movie, right? Like, oh, right. he gets nervous on airplanes, right? Um and uh and then later, you know, he after he gets into an argument with his wife, Holly, mm-hmm. he takes that advice, mm-hmm. right? And he makes fists with his toes on a rug. <laughs> and he's like, huh, who knew? Like, that really works, right? Mm-hmm. And it feels like a nice little callback to right. that earlier bit. But this actually has massive implications right. for the film because it is why he is barefoot when the terrorists show up, yeah. which becomes a major problem for him mm-hmm. throughout the course of the film. Right. Yeah. And, and just like, I feel like there are a number of little things like that throughout the movie that I think a lesser movie just wouldn't have like the care to like, just naturally make that like a, 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 a very um, intuitive, understandable, natural plank of the film. Mm-hmm. But like in Die Hard, it's like uh, uh, just a seatmate saying make fists with your toes in the beginning of the film becomes like a major factor. And like one of the major sort of defining characteristics of this movie is the fact that McLean is barefoot for, you know, like 85% of it. Right. Um, and so uh, just like think, I just like feel like routinely that the movie sort of rewards you for uh, paying attention and like being attentive to um, little seeds that are planted early. Um, another example of this is when they're talking about, oh, we got to get into the vault and there's seven locks that we have mm-hmm. to get through. And he's like, and the computer genius is like, well, I can get you through the first six, but mm-hmm. the seventh one. And Hans Gruber, the Alan Rickman character, is like, I'll take care of the seventh lock. Right, right. Don't worry, right? And it's like, and it's, um, and the way that eventually he does take care of the seventh lock is like extremely satisfying, Mm -hmm. right? It's not Mm -hmm. just like, it's not just like, oh, he brought, I feel like a modern Hollywood movie would, uh, instead of him having basically playing four dimensional chess and manipulating the FBI into effectively disabling that seventh lock on his behalf, Mm -hmm. right? They would have just been like, he brought in a really big bomb. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's like, I just feel like this was such a, such a more rewarding plan. Yeah, right. That, yeah. And so just like, so I, that's one of the things about this movie that really works for me is it's not just like, uh, a series of action sequences that become increasingly, um, you know, bigger giant and, and explosive more boisterous. Yeah, yeah right and that's the movie it's like no there's these threads running through it from a script perspective that like pay off in interesting ways that and it just, there's like 
you can tell that there's like an intelligence under the entire thing Mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of action movies just simply don't possess. Right. And so, um, just like the, that, like, it's a very silly in some ways, dumb movie, but it's not a dumb movie. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of smarts working, working to make this thing go. And so that's one of the things I really appreciate. It lets me eat my popcorn, but lets me like, it sort of tickles that part of your, of your, of your brain while you're watching it as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I I agree. I think the writing, the story is really well written. I think there's, there's definitely like characters being dumb at certain points, but Mm -hmm. you know, the real world has people being dumb. So it's sort of like, it's not, I don't view that as a writing flaw. Like it's not full of, of, insanely dumb people making insanely dumb decisions. I think most of the characters are quite believable. And like, if somebody does make a bad decision, it's not, it's like, it's not like, because that character is a bumbling idiot. It's like, you know, for example, there's definitely multiple scenes where, um, like a character will have another character in a spot where they could shoot them, but Mm -hmm. they don't. And I'm like, you know, as a, as a person watching a movie, often you're like, why wouldn't you just shoot them right now? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. but in, in the world of the movie, you you can sort of buy, like, they think that they have the situation under control. Right. Yeah. And then things change. Um, or like, uh, (laughs) or like even, even the limo driver, you know, Argyle, Argyle, um, he's 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 kind of fun and it you know you could say it's like a little convenient that he just sort of parks there and then is like listening to loud music and doesn't hear anything for like the entire runtime of (laughs) the movie but it's not it's it's not preposterous it's just sort of convenient right? right um and like the actual villain's plan and the decisions McLean makes for the most part, I think are all sort of very satisfyingly uh, smart, not, not smart, like a genius, like every detail has been thought through, but more like smart reactive, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of like the reacting to new information in a way that seems like about as well as any smart person could react. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think Hans Gruber was also just a much better villain than I realized this movie had. I guess, I don't know. I guess that was something I wasn't super familiar with. Like Alan Rickman, I kind of knew he was the bad guy, but I feel like he's a great villain. Um, Yes. Like (laughs) from like the scene where the, where the sales guy goes in and he's sort of like trying to you know, kind of negotiate with him. And he's like, you've got this all figured out, you know, like, yeah. I feel like that's a great sort of like character moment for him. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, also just him like later when John McClane kind of catches him and he's really quick on his feet and pretends to be a, a hostage. Yeah. He right? puts on his American accent. Yeah. It was like such a great moment for it. Like it took me a sec to even understand what was happening. Right. Um, it was probably like by the time that McLean's like, I'm not going to hurt you. And I'm like, 
oh wait, I see what's happening. Like he doesn't know what he looks like, and he right. is They've smart enough. Met. He's yeah. smart enough to think he doesn't know who I am. So I'm gonna yep. just you know not give away my voice and you know pretend to be somebody else. Um, like those those were great moments too. And like you said, you know the whole plan of which which is foreshadowed because he's like we'll just we just need to you know bide time until the FBI shows up basically like he knows yeah. the FBI is coming right right and it's part of his plan that that like little bit of dialogue reveals that yeah. and i agree with you it's very satisfying when they do come so um yeah it's all great i mean this being made in 1988 it's sort of like we talked about i think when i when we were talking about gunpowder milkshake actually i was saying like a fight scene like this bowling alley scene mm-hmm. is still, even though it seems pretty mediocre by modern standards, it's still like better than you would have ever seen in a movie back in like the eighties. And I feel like mm-hmm. this movie helps sort of like, to me is a good example, right? Like this is a great mm-hmm. action movie, but there's no like great choreographed, like, you know, the, the most extended fight is probably him against, that the like terrorist with the longer hair, Carl. which is just like yes. lots of lots of just like close up punching and mm-hmm. throwing bodies into stairs and stuff, right? Yeah, there's no like real finesse to it. Right. Um, so I don't think, I, but that said, I think the action is very like visceral and yes, and uh, it's well shot, um, you know, for what it is, which is just yeah. not a super smoothly choreographed, you know like almost dance like fight, which is kind of what we're what we've become somewhat accustomed to today. Yeah, this is very much like unlike I think a lot of the movies that we've watched recently, this has like zero uh connection to Kung Fu. Right. 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 Um no no DNA like in common there. Yeah, this is much um the 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 action in this film is much more sort of in uh in the vein of like a like a Western shootout, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, you've got people with their backs to walls and they're just sort of like trying to not get riddled with bullets by the other side. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and in fact, I think the movie sort of very explicitly, you know, leverages that by, uh, for a time, Gruber does not know McLean's name mm-hmm. and is calling him Roy Rogers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's very much like a cowboy element to this. Like the most, one of the most famous lines in the movie is a reference to a cowboy, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, I think that is sort of the action lineage that this sort of shares some DNA with is just this yeah, idea for sure. of like an extended shootout as opposed to like a, you know, a Kung Fu yeah. match. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the one or two sort of hand-to-hand combat scenes that there are, it, it like I, I this probably isn't true, but I wouldn't be shocked if I learned that you know the way those scenes were actually directed was just the director being like, just like fight a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. just film now you, throw like, them into the wall, we'll film you right, fighting, yeah. and then you know right. we'll get some you know footage, and then we'll call it a day. Like right. it, it, it didn't feel like super planned out. I mean, it probably was at least in broad strokes of like, you're going to run into the wall, then you're going to f- fall down some stairs or, or whatever. Right. Or obviously right. in the final fight, like you're going to wrap the chain around his neck. But, right. um, but all of the sort of moves along the way did not feel very planned or, or staged. Yeah. 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 It feels more like um, I'm thinking about, there's a sequence where, 
uh, McLean ends up uh, battling a couple of guys like in a boardroom mm-hmm. where there's like a really long table. zigzaggy table, mm-hmm. right? And um, that sequence where so Bruce Willis is under the table and he's sort of sh- shifting backwards on his back by pushing his feet into the floor below him and like moving backwards. Um, and the bad guy is on top of the table, like shooting down through mm-hmm. the table, mm-hmm. right? There's something very like um, almost like monster movie mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. right? Like being pursued by like just a vicious killing machine that like you're just barely escaping, yeah. right? And I feel like this movie has a lot of that too, where it's just sort of like, McLean's strategy in certain cases, like just run. Yeah, just right? get just away. Like, get out of there, right? Yeah. Um, As it should bullets, be. Right? You got no shit. No, and they got way more weapons than him. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about it is just sort of like um, there are situations where he's like, the only choice I have right now is to like stand and fight. But there mm-hmm. are plenty of situations where you know I'm thinking of like the sequence um, where he's like in the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. right and he's being mm-hmm. chased by carl and two other gunmen that's a pretty great and it's scene just, and he's just sort of like i gotta get the f out of here because like there's a bunch of killers coming for me and i'm gonna hide in the ductwork. yeah right like yeah. um i feel like that's part and that's just as satisfying as the fighting stuff right just him surviving every encounter is the primary goal and he'll use whatever tools he has in the toolkit to make that happen but yeah. like it doesn't always involve a gunfight or a fist fight sometimes it involves just like slinking away as quickly as possible i'll tell you one of the one of the speaking of earlier i was saying sometimes characters make sort of dumb decisions i think one of the least intelligent things john McClane does in this movie is uh like right the message on the dude's shirt that's like, now, now I, have, I a have a machine gun. gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're like, why would he reveal that? Why would he reveal anything to them? Like, you know, this is that's just him giving away that there's a guy in the building with a machine gun, right? So yeah. be on alert, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, although that's more, that's some movie logic stuff. It, right it is a little bit. I did, I did find it to be somewhat forgivable later in the movie when, um, his wife is like only John can make someone that annoyed or something like that or can get under somebody's <laughs> skin that much. I was like, there is a, there is a, a logic to this, that this guy, like despite the fact that in the, you know, he's trying to survive and this is like a life or death situation, but he's still, he's still John McClane and John McClane taunts people. Right. <laughs> And gets and gets completely on their nerves, right? Like it's just right. like his character. So yeah, that's absolutely a part of the character yeah. for sure. I felt I right. felt like there was I felt like that sort of made it work for me. You know, one of the one of the things I was meaning to comment on as far as favorite parts of the movie. Another thing that this movie does that I feel like is so unique. I I don't even know if I can think of another movie that does this. Is that they open up a line of communication between him and Gruber, mm-hmm. you know, halfway through the movie where they have walkie talkies that can talk to each other. But the, the catch is McLe- that same walkie talkie that McLean has, he can also use to talk to the cops, right? But it's like an open channel. So all three parties can hear one another simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, such an unusual mechanic yeah. to have in a film for like an open channel conversation between the LAPD 
uh, McLean and Gruber. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just like it allows them to like get to know one another, play, you know, like play mind games with one another, lie. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in such a way that, but like McLean has to do it in such a way that like the LAPD will know. Mm-hmm. When he's lying or not lying, and Gruber will not, you know what I mean? And they're yeah. all just, it's this interesting game that they're playing. And I cannot think of another film that's like, let's give all parties like an open line of communication the entire time. Right. 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 Like, usually I do, there's, they're plotting behind closed doors, but not in this movie. I do like it. I think it was, I think it was pretty interesting. I felt like maybe I'm, maybe if I watched the movie again, I would understand it better. But I did feel like they got a little, um, I don't want to say lazy. Like, it, it sort of stopped being a thing after a yeah. while. Like, yeah. the, it kind of reached a point where he was just talking to, you know, his cop friend. And I'm like, so presumably the terrorists can also hear this whole conversation. But it's sort of like right. they're not really showing that anymore. And I feel like the way they're talking it sort of seems like it's private now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure what happened if I missed something. Um, but I think it was just sort of for the sake of like, this is kind of hard to maintain for an entire movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. But I agree with you. That's very cool. The closest thing I can think of, and I can't even give a specific example, but I do think there are other movies where sometimes like, a main character will have to say something to another character and they'll use like um, some sort of like shared, you know, code, code word or um, like that feels like a, a thing that's been done in other movies. Yeah. Right. Of like, you, you know, they'll, they'll just say something that sounds innocuous to the villain, but the other character knows that it means something. Right. Like whatever. It might right. Be. Right. Um, like, yeah, what is it? I'm not going to waste time. But I just, I have a visual in my head of something with, like, a guy in a prison telling some telling somebody, like, somebody in a prison cell telling somebody something. I can't remember what. There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That, There's a lot of money in that banana stand. <laughs> um, how about fix the movie? Any, uh, any big flaws? Uh, that either you know you've always known about or just just jumped out at you this final viewing well uh i think i un- i understand from a plot perspective why it's in the film but i oh um, can i predict this is this the storyline you forgot was in the movie no you've oh. actually already mentioned the storyline that i forgot was in the movie the oh part where gr- the part where gruber Pretends puts on an american a- accent uh, okay, okay like that i remember the, like um, that scene starts, and I don't know if you felt this way, but like there's a moment early, or like you know, midway through the film, where like it feels like a non sequitur, and like Gruber is all of a sudden like not in his office where he's like holed up yes. with the other terrorists, yes, and he's just like checking on some wiring, yeah, right, yeah, and I'm like, totally. what is he doing? Why is he doing this? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, did I miss a part of the movie? Is there a glitch in the copy of the that's, movie that I'm watching? Yeah, that's so um, funny you say that because, as I mentioned, when I watched the movie, it had commercials. And yeah. I think that was because uh, I watched it on Amazon Prime with commercials. So that was like right after a commercial break. It yeah. was like it cut to commercial and then it cut to like Gruber 
walking through this back area. And I was like, what happened? I, and I actually like rewound yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. no, it just, it just, it just is like he's in the office and then it cuts to something else and then it cuts to him and now he's here. Yeah. Um, so I felt the, the same way. Yeah. The main thing I sort of rationalized it after the fact I was like, Oh, Gruber needs the detonators. Mm-hmm. And I think he is like looking at the bomb setup they've got on the roof mm-hmm. to sort of like reevaluate, like what is this set up properly? And yeah. what do I need to get this thing to blow up? Right. Right. Um, and I think and what why he's doing it and why he wouldn't send somebody else, that's like a different problem. But like I had totally forgotten. Mm. I was like, because it, it felt like something was broken in the movie for a brief moment, right? I'm like, wait, he's just gonna go up there and get captured by McLean? This, like, yeah. I don't remember how this works out. Yeah. And then, and then, like, I'm like, is this a dream sequence? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then, and then McLean, like, you know, apprehends him, and he's like, gotcha, you know. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like dumbfounded by what I'm seeing. Right. You're like, I'm like. What, how does this how does he get work? out of this? Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. he puts on, he's like, oh no. Like he puts yeah. on his American accent. I was like, and it all clicked for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like actually a brilliant moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I had totally forgotten about this bit of the film where like they are at, where McLean and Gruber do not know, mm-hmm. like, or, or rather to be clear, McLean does not know who Gruber is and Glu- Gruber definitely knows who McLean yeah. is. Yeah. 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 To, to be clear, though, so I do feel like that it's um, it doesn't like really bring down the movie for me at all, but it does seem like a thing that should be fixed. Yeah. I was actually I was uh, we were talking about um, a different movie that just sort of like didn't make sense um, recently. And I and I I gave this sort of speculative explanation where I was saying that I think applies in this case too, where I was saying, you know, the people who make a movie, they shoot the whole movie, they spend weeks on it. You know, they all know they've read the script. They know it inside and out. They shoot all these scenes. Then they go into editing. And then I think this thing can sometimes happen where to get the runtime down or to sort of just like streamline the story a bit in the editing process, they're just removing stuff that they're like, we don't need this. We don't need that. But it can be, I feel like it can be difficult when you really, really, really know something super well to sort of put yourself back in the mindset of someone who doesn't know it super well. So like you can accidentally take out kind of critical things. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you're like, no, everybody get like the audience gets why Gruber is here. It's like, no, we don't. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. Because because it feels like they probably did shoot some more scenes that sort of make up the connective tissue between you know, before he's in that area and then when he gets there. But in the editing process, it was like, this is just filler. You know, like nothing super interesting is happening here. So we can remove some of this. That's my highly speculative explanation for what might have happened there. Yeah, I agree with you. It it just feels like there's something. They just cut something out. Yeah. yeah. Right. And now whether they like wasn't in the script or they didn't film it or Mm -hmm. they did film it and it didn't come out very well or they cut it for time or whatever. It just like, yeah, like it's one of those things where you feel like it would probably be 30 seconds. Right. right. (laughs) Seems like you could have afforded a little bit. Gruber's talking to a bad guy and he's like, Oh, we got to go check on the roof without the detonators. We might need to come up with another way to blow the roof. 
and they're like, well, the other, the only explosions expert we had is dead. And he's like, fine, I'll go myself. Yeah, I'll you know what I mean? Myself, like that, yeah. that would have been enough, right? But to be clear, I actually, I should complete my thought because I don't think that like jarring transition is is really that big a deal. I think there's something slightly bigger that, in my opinion, could be fixed about this whole part of the movie, which is, I mean, the, the, the transition is a little jarring, but then I think the whole thing that happens between him and Gruber is a little bit is a little bit like convoluted in my opinion um mm-hmm. maybe convoluted is not the right word it's like there's like too many things that happen and it kind of reminds me of uh I think it was the the last Mission Impossible movie there's some there's a scene in one of the it's either the most recent or the second most recent Mission Impossible movie where there's like five reveals or something in a, a row like a yeah like cross, somebody takes yeah. a mask off and some, somebody else turns out to be the enemy and then somebody else seems to turns into like have the situation under control you know um and you're like this is just like too many plot developments in such a short time um i felt sort of that way with him and gruber it's like okay gruber fakes him out tricks him into thinking he's a hostage then like he puts him to the test he comes up with a name that's believable then McLean gives him a gun. Then Gruber turns on him. Then it turns out McLean didn't load the gun and he outsmarted him. Then it turns out the terrorists come in and start shooting at McLean, you know? Right. And I'm just like, you did. I feel like this was like, I, I get that the scene was sort of like ramping up the tension, you know? Yeah. But it just sort of felt like too many gotchas to me. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, and then, but then finally at the end of it, you come to another part that to me sort of just was hand waved sort of like not explained what happened here because yeah you know they have him basically trapped in a room and then he's like shoot the glass and then they do that mm-hmm. and then they just leave i'm like why did they leave like he was there they should have killed him you know why did they leave? they just I shot like- the glass and left because they found the detonators basically Oh, like so, okay. so, so Gruber like finds the bag of detonators and he's like, this is what we came for. Now right. let's go. And the right. other guy's like pissed. Right. Yeah. That's where he they, they go back and and John's wife and the rest of the group, they see the guy like super mad because like, I guess he's mad because like John got away. Right. But but right. but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it just didn't make sense to me because I'm like they had him in the room and he was like shooting at them and then they just shot all the glass and they left. I feel like yeah. that does not make sense. Like they should have made sure they killed him. Right. They, they well, basically Gru- had him cornered and I, I think, Gru- think Gruber's Gruber- take was like now that we've shot all the glass, he's trapped. <laughs> like, well, I think he can't Gruber's possibly also- walk on the glass. I do, but I think his I think throughout the early part of the film, like. Uh, even before he had the detonators, Carl was like, I got to get him because he killed my brother. And mm-hmm. Gruber's like, he's not important. Right. right? Yeah. Like, no, I get that. But in my opinion, by this point in the story, he's made himself enough of a nuisance that like, right. if you're Gruber, you definitely want to. Also, it's one thing to be like, don't waste your time going after him. Right. Because right. he doesn't pose a real threat. It's different to be like, he's right there, (laughs) but don't shoot him, you know? Well, by that point, he had let, he had run away. Had he? Yeah, McLean, like when they shoot the glass, Uh McLean runs for it. 
um, because he knows that he's doomed. And that's why he gets his feet get all cut up right. on the broken glass while he runs for it. Right. Um, so I don't, he's, I don't, I don't remember think by seeing the time, that. I don't remember seeing that. Uh, maybe he, I, I think he's running while they're shooting. Mm. I thought he was oh, like, no, no, no. I thought he was like hiding under a desk or something. No, you're, you're right. And they you're shoot right. all the glass and he's just like still there. And in fact, I think the camera even shows him like looking uh, over the floor and seeing all this broken glass. And it's like, what are you going to do, John? You're going right. to have to walk over that glass. There's, Good thing. The bad guys just left though. <laughs> You know? No, there's definitely a moment. I would have to rewatch it, but like I am 99% certain that there is a shot where after they've shot the glass, he does he survey away. the glass mm-hmm. and he just like, there's a moment where he has an opportunity and he just books it. Okay. Because like, he's it, like, it could literally be the sort st- of thing I where stay here. And maybe I'm I literally like back. looked away for like a couple seconds and missed that like very yeah. important bit of action. Because in yeah. my mind, it really was, it really was like the bad guys walked away from the, from, from, from him <laughs> is what it seemed like happened. Okay. I think it was something like we've shot the glass. Yeah. He's not here anymore. Right. And I think Gruber was like, we're not going to go on this wild goose chase. Yeah. Cause we've got guy. the detonators. Yeah. We've yeah. got the detonators. We, are, we have a timeline to keep. Let's go. Okay, right? I'm I'm willing to. Uh, I will forgive the movie, or I will I will rescind my uh, my nitpick or fix the movie if that's the case. This forces us to rewatch. I it will rewatch this sure. scene later. Yes, to to verify what you've said. So the fix the movie that I had, and I understand why this is in the movie, but I just don't. I just don't like it. I just mm-hmm. don't enjoy. I just want the movie to get back to what we're trying to do here. Is the entire bit with the the, the reporter. reporter. That's yeah. what I thought you were going to say you forgot about. Yes. Well, I did. I, mm-hmm. I mean, put it, put it this way. Like, I don't really. It serves a narrative purpose. Mm-hmm. Because at one point, like. Um, I, some, somehow, I think. It reveals who John is. Telecam- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's like. I understand that that's why it's there but it just feels like too much screen time for, Mm -hmm. you know, a plot that I just don't care about, you know? And I know they try to pay it off at the end of the film when Holly punches uh, Thornburg in the face. Uh Right. But that's not a sad, to me, that's not a terribly satisfying. Oh, I liked it. I liked it actually. So I, I can totally see your, your argument here for me. I actually felt like, um, I felt like it was a pretty efficient use of, I mean, it didn't seem like a lot of screen time to me, put it that way. Like it seemed to me like they made a pretty, I viewed it as yes, he's sort of superfluous. Like it's a pretty minimal function that this character serves in the overall plot, but they, they, they pretty effectively establish a pretty despicable, (laughs) like very unlikable character without a ton of screen time. And they make you really hate this guy, but right. they also reveals a critical piece of information to the villain. And then you get this satisfying moment of him getting punched in the face at the end. So to me, it was sort of like, it, it didn't feel like, I mean, put it this way. I don't think it occupied like 15 minutes of the movie. It probably took total like five minutes of the movie, I sure. would guess. Um, so I was like, it's worth five minutes of the movie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to like yeah. get this other guy that you hate 
And uh, that actor is good at playing guys that you hate. He's from he's in Ghostbusters, too, right? That's right. Yeah, that's what I recognize him from. He's the guy from the EPA in Ghostbusters. The EPA EPA is the bad guy (laughs) in Ghostbusters. That's right. Um, well, it's, it, it is when you get that actor to play the representative, right? Atherton, William Atherton. There you is go. His name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, so I, I get your point, but I kind of, I don't know. I sort of like yeah. that subplot for whatever reason. I think if it had um, been even like twice as long, I, I totally would be with you. I, to me, it was, it was pretty short and sweet. Like what they yeah. were able to do with that yeah. character. That's yeah. There's no accounting for taste. That's like a, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Situation, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, okay. I have a more controversial. Ooh, okay. Movie. All right, let's hear it. And I feel I feel like bad even bringing this up. Ooh. I think they could have cast a better actor for Sergeant Al Powell. Mm. Right. Like I just don't think Reginald Vell Johnson's performance is like very, very good. good hmm. You know, it it feels like a man acting. Right. Like that's sort of what it feels like to me as opposed to like a person, like a real person. Mm. And so I I always get a little bit distracted during those sequences where like McLean and Al are like having these heart to heart conversations on the radio. Really? Not because I don't think it's a good idea. I just feel like I feel like Bruce Willis is a very good actor. Mm. Right. And very like convincing as McLean. And I feel like Bill Johnson is like, just not on that level. Right. And so I don't, um, I would have to think a little, I mean, like put it this way. This is, um, this is over, overdoing it. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, and and your answer is going to be like, of course, Adam, this is an idiotic take. (laughs) Uh, Oh, this is, but like, if you put Denzel in that role, uh-huh. right? Like, <laughs> sure, it would be incredible. Now you need a Vell Johnson type. You need a guy who is like a little bit round, you know, like a little bit sedentary, because that's sort of like his—he's a paper pusher who never draws his gun, mm-hmm. right? So, like, yeah, it doesn't really make sense for like Denzel <laughs> to be in that role, yeah, right, yeah. But I think there's probably other. There are other actors who I think would have could be better. I would need to go. I would need to think about this a little bit harder. But mm. like, I don't know. I I'm always a little bit distracted by the by Sergeant Al Powell. All right. I mean, you know, to each his own. I I had no problem with his performance. I thought it was fine. It felt. I I sort of know what you mean, but I also feel like to me his performance felt like what sort of actors were doing around this time i don't know (laughs) well and it's funny like because like you said bruce willis i agree is is very good but it's not like he's to me it it doesn't seem like what makes him good is this incredibly nuanced performance it's like he's very charismatic right right um just yeah he he does i think you're saying you want more emotions well yeah it seems like you're saying you want like a much more subtle you know performance from from this particular cop but to me it's sort of like broad stroke most of the characters in this movie are very broadly yeah sketched it's like mclean is this wise ass you know hero um like think about like argyle 
know? Yeah. yeah He's just yeah. like Total this jovial kind of like, you know, ridiculously like Argyle is a very unrealistic character. Right. You know? right. Like this limo driver who's just like really giving his client a hard time about his like relationship with his wife, like immediately, you know? Yeah. Be like, come on, tell the truth. You know, I was like, this guy's like super comfortable with him. And but he works, you know, like I like him. Right. He, he, he they make you like him really quick. And the, and Hans is kind of an over the top villain. I don't know. I just thought the cop was sort of like, you know, he he, he fit in the movie to me. Um, Al uh, yeah. And I'm, I want to call out something that like in the beginning when Pal enters the movie and McLean gets his attention by throwing a body mm-hmm. onto his car, <laughs> right? I think Pal's reaction in that moment is uh-huh. utterly hilarious, right? <laughs> in a good like, way, right? right? No, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, love be. it. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be funny, and it is. He, like, just, like, him screaming into the radio for backup as he drives backwards yeah. as fast as possible yeah. is just, like, very bizarre and very funny. It's a very and, satisfying like, moment because you see this cop just, like, sort of pull up to this building and just be like, nah, everything's fine. You're like, you have not right. investigated the situation <laughs> at all. Yeah. He clearly just wants to go home. Right. And then dead body, <laughs> you're like, you're like, you know, at that point, the, you as the audience, I think, are not quite on this guy's side yet. Right. Right. You view him as like a sort of an incompetent cop. So you're just like serves you right. Yeah. Do your job, man. Yeah. And so that like and Bill Johnson's obviously a very accomplished like TV comedy actor. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Family Matters is a very successful show. So it's like um, that was where he really like. That's where shined he shined to you. To yeah, me, yeah. where it was like, it's like, yeah, here's a guy who knows how to like use his voice and use his eyes and his face to like really get a laugh out of the audience. Right. But, mm-hmm. and it's like, but w- when he's having like those serious heart to hearts, it doesn't work for me as well. I was trying to think like who's available mm-hmm. in 1988 who could like play this know. part. Right. And, I, you know, I was struggling a little bit to come up with a better choice, right? Denzel Washington um, was your... Yeah, I know, I know. Like, but that's not really realistic. I was trying to... Who, who would have sort of like the bookish quality, like a, a sort of like... Um, just the sort of a desk jockey type of persona, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Sort of thrust into this type of situation. And I think he probably in 1988 would have been too young. But like John Turturro, I feel like. Mm. could work in a role like this right so at any rate like uh at any rate we don't need to like i'll pal yeah, barton also, fink was 91 so yeah totally like he might have been a little young to play like a a cop right but you know maybe not um so at any rate like somebody like that who can do it who has a little bit more because torturo can be funny but he can also be obviously very serious and so like i wanted I wanted somebody with uh, where I was a little more comfortable with their their entire range of performance, but we don't need to pick on Al Powell anymore. All right, uh, all right, yeah. Stop picking on Al Powell. I think, or on Reginald Vell Johnson, I should say. Yeah, I'll, I think I'll he did. I think he did fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything? Let's see. Any other? Any other nitpicks or fix the movie? So it's sort of like. I think we I think we agree to disagree on all these things. It's uh 
Well, well, no, we agree on the the sort of jarring transition to you know. There's some editing issues in this one scene, right? Of Gruber, mm-hmm. Gruber just magically moving to a different location. But then, other than that, it's like the reporter subplot arguably could be taken out. You know, yeah. you can argue either way on that one. And Vel Johnson's performance, you know, was it good? Wasn't it? <laughs> Did it detract mm-hmm. from the movie? Again, matter of taste. Um. I don't really have, I think, uh, I think this movie is so close to every, you know, everything making sense and every character making smart decisions that a part of me does wish a few of these decisions that were made weren't made. Mm -hmm. Like it's sort of, there's a part of me that wishes it were sort of like airtight, you know, like every character always is acting very intelligently. Like, I don't know. The now I have a machine gun ho 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 scene is right. like a good character building moment, but it is is pretty idiotic. And then um like the cops being so incompetent, the FBI being so stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like they're probably it probably would have taken a lot of work, but I feel like there probably could have been a way that they could have been not dumb, but still not very effective. You know, like because I think them being dumb, what that accomplishes is sort of gets John McClane to accept like I'm going to have to I have you know, to do this take matters in my own hands a little more like because yeah. he wants someone else to deal with this. But when it becomes clear that that won't work, you know, then he sort of goes into hero mode a little bit more. But I, I, I want to believe there's a way they could have made it made that happen without the cops just being like idiots, you know? Yeah. Um, and same with the FBI. So that, you know, I don't really have any concrete suggestions, but it feels like it would have been slightly more satisfying if just, you know, a movie with like no dumb characters to me is always very satisfying. Right. Right. You're like, everybody's, everybody's being as intelligent as they can be given the circumstances, but they don't have all the information or like whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I I I I think in some ways I, I'll have I don't remember this movie as well, and I'll have to rewatch it. But like I think in some ways, Die Hard Two tries to give you a little bit more of that formulation. Really, right? Is um, Die Hard are the sequels good? Should I watch all the sequels? Uh, or some of the sequels? Two, two, and three are good. Like oh, right. un, un, unequivocally good. Uh, four is i think uh your mileage may vary on okay four. all right wait and there is there a five i don't even remember anymore i think yeah, let's see there's a good so there's die hard die hard two die hard with a vengeance that's one two and three right yeah yeah 2007 yeah. was a movie called live free or die hard uh-huh. and then 2013 was a good day to die hard oh that's the one with his daughter right isn't that like, isn't a good day to I die? I have hard? no idea, Adam. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's five. That's five. So there's yeah. five of them. Four, four and five. Uh, Less good. I'm, I, I, def- I feel like I definitely remember four. I barely remember five. Um, and my recollection is they're not particularly great. Okay. Um, but one, two, and three. Yeah, very solid. All right, I'll have to check out Die Hard 2. But anyway, yeah, I think that two tries to let you have your cake and eat it too. I mean, basically, you know, um, you 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 know that 
die hard on a blank is a is a way to describe movies now you ever heard this before um like like die hard on a plane that kind of thing which is die hard 2 to be clear okay like die hard on a plane is die hard 2 but like um die hard on a submarine right is kind of like hunt for red october right like Mm -hmm person hiding out in a in a enclosed space with bad guys all around and they have to like methodically kill the bad guys this mm. is like a this is like a genre yeah of a movie it. now right um and so uh so yeah die hard 2 i think repeats the formula die hard 3 does not die hard 3 is very different um one thing i just want to talk for a minute about hans gruber in a little bit more detail right, because sure. um Cause he's a real gift, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and he's a villain who I think has the benefit of having a real tragic flaw. You know, I feel like most villains like just die because they get killed by the hero, but like Gruber's tragic flaw is his hubris, mm-hmm. right? Like he is so confident in his intelligence and competence that like he is blinded by the fact that his plan is falling apart, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or not by the fact, to the fact that his plan is falling apart. And so I really like the fact that like everything is on the rails for Gruber until it isn't. Mm-hmm. And he like does not know how to deal with that, right? He like cannot uh, fathom that like his airtight plan is being disrupted. Is there a particular um, moment that you're thinking of? I think it's the very end, mm. like the very end. Right. You know what I mean? Like when John's um, got a gun duct taped to his back. <laughs> right. And even in that moment, yeah. I think Gruber. And so like the, the shot where the movie like really brings it all home uh-huh. is like when the watch slips off of Holly's wrist. Right, right. And you see Gruber falling, like, mm-hmm. uh, from Nakatomi. And Plaza. that look that look on his face of, like, how can this be happening? Right. It's like, that's the first time in the entire movie, <laughs> I feel like, where he's like, oh, no. Like, this I've is lost. Not gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not, how is this happening? Right, right. right. Um, which is something I love, because, like, that, that face is very iconic at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like that look that he gives um, and without spoiling much actually like comes into play in future diehard movies. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but, um, but like uh, I just think it, it, it's, it leaves such a deep impression on me because he is such a memorable villain mm-hmm. and so competent and so convinced that he is going to succeed I feel like we rarely get moments where villains like are truly like emotionally reckoning with failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, usually they just like die. You know right? what? You know what? I feel like so I hadn't seen Die Hard. So for me, you know what I think was this for me was uh-huh. in the movie Gladiator when yeah. when Maximus. Uh, what's the emperor's name? I forget the emperor's name in it. Is it, oh, it's Claudius something? Claudius, or? maybe. Yeah, but when Maximus is, like, killing him, right? Yeah. I remember having that sort of, that same sort of, like, I was very affected by that. It sounds like for very similar reasons to you, where, like, he had stacked the deck in his favor, 
right? Yeah. He'd like wounded him and he like had no plan. He, his plan was like, I'm definitely going to win this fight. Right. So sort of when it ends and he's like beating him and just like, I, I feel like I remember walking Phoenix's performance to me was like so powerful because it was just like a man who had every intention of like controlling the situation in his mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Finally coming to grips with like, somehow this has gotten away from me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm about to like die. <laughs> right. And I feel right. like that's the face on Hans Gruber as he's falling from the building. Yeah. It's like, where did I go wrong here? <laughs> and yeah. I had thought through everything. Yeah. This was, yeah. It's like, this was working until it wasn't yeah. right. And yeah. it, and like, I believed this was working until the last possible second. Right. Um, but to your point, like it clearly was not work. Like things were going wrong almost from the beginning, right? Because right. John McClane is like killing his his team and right. he's just like, it's fine. <laughs> right, right. We can lose that guy. The plan proceeds, you know, right. as normal. We, we lost another guy. It's fine. We're still fine. He stole the right. detonators, you know. Um, and uh, It's, it's yeah. just so great to he's have... He's in denial. He's in denial. Yeah, it's great to have a villain who's so good at what he does, but not quite as good as he thinks he is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as the audience, like part of the drama of the film is, you know, like, I mean, we all know it's a Hollywood movie and we think we know how these things end, but like being in that little like uncomfortable space between like, is this going to work out or not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like because uh, because Gruber is so competent, Um and so at any rate, yeah, I just wanted to, I didn't want that to go unremarked that like, yeah, uh, no, he's great. It's, I feel, I feel a little sheepish about the fact that prior to this movie, if you, if you told me to name a movie that Alan Rickman was in, yeah, I think I'd be like, um, galaxy quest. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I just like, wasn't really, this has got to be one of his, if one of his most, if not his most iconic and beloved performance i'm assuming oh for sure i mean i think yeah i think hans gruber is one of the most famous action villain characters ever yeah, yeah. right um i mean he's right up there he's with darth vader lot. <laughs> <laughs> hans gruber I mean, yeah i mean he's alan rickman uh was in a lot of films uh no i mean i i'm not a particularly big fan in fact i've literally never seen any of these movies but like you know, he was in the Harry, Harry Potter movies, right? Oh, Maybe sure. Really. That's right. Yeah. Maybe those are um, more famous now, but this one. Right. This one right. Uh, would have been up there for a long time. Well, anyway, I agree. I mean, I think all the characters in this are great. I think John McClane is great. Hans Gruber is great. Um, you know, his wife is like a good character. She's not like um, she's not just like the sort of like hero's wife <laughs> as her defining totally. characteristic, you know. Yeah. Argyle is a good character. I thought um, I thought the sergeant was like a pretty good character. Uh, you know, obviously we don't fully agree, or maybe you, maybe we don't disagree. I like the, on him char- being a I good like the character. character. It was more about the performance lo- for you. Yeah, yeah, I don't love the performance, but I'm I'm being nitpicky there. Yeah, and the and Thornburg, you know, also very good character in the sense that you love to hate him, right? <laughs> you know, a character I love is Who? Ellis. Oh, right? which one is Ellis? He's the smarmy bearded guy 
who gets a Coca-Cola oh, delivered oh, to him uh-huh, in uh-huh. Gruber's office <laughs> yeah, yeah. and tries to like negotiate his way. Tries to schmooze. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just j- another, it's a like, it's another situation of a guy really out of his depth, Yeah, but he does not know it right. until it's too late. Yeah. Right. Well, just um, a supremely high opinion of himself and his abilities. Right. Yeah. He sort and of says, like, what does he say? He's like, I do million dollar deals for breakfast or something. It's just yeah, like, yeah. you know, I can handle any negotiation. This is right up yeah. my alley. Right. And it's like, it's, it's, um, it reminds me of that moment in, uh, I guess it's Dark Knight Rises, right? Where, you know, the guy's like, I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. And Bane's like, do, do you, you feel, feel in, charge? in charge? Right. Such a great like, line. Um, As he puts his hand of, on his shoulder. Right. Ellis is kind of like that, right? He's like, I got this. I'm in charge here. And mm-hmm. it's like, do you feel in charge? Right? Like, um, and so I, yeah. I just, like, he's a very, like, despicable character, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, trying to pick up McLean's wife. He's hitting on Holly. He's doing coke in her office. He's gonna. <laughs> he's willing to turn in McLean. Yeah. Like, he's willing, you know, he thinks he's, um, he just thinks he's smarter and better than everyone yeah right uh and the fact that mclean during that sequence is like ellis you have to tell them that we're not friends you have to tell them that we don't know each other because like and then he then he starts talking to gruber he's like look ellis doesn't know what kind of (laughs) ellis doesn't know what kind of guy you are Uh but i do and like you cannot like he's an idiot right right Right. don't listen to him right um, I just think, but that whole sequence, like, really, like, puts a final bow on, like, who Ellis is and how he's sort of, like, uh, winning the Darwin Awards mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. like, being involved in this scenario. But it just, like, it's just such a, like, in such a small amount of screen time, it's such, like, a well-drawn yeah. narcissist, you know? Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All the, I think all the characters in this are great. Um. Even the little, you know, the on in 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 the the gang, you know, in Gruber's gang, you've uh-huh. got you've got the, you know, this sort of aloof hacker guy, right? Yeah, he's like a good he's a good character. You got Theo, yeah. What's his name? Who who's the like main henchman with the long hair? Carl. Carl. You know, he's who's, a, who's also the conductor in the money. Pit. Oh, yeah. B- believe me, that's the immediately the, <laughs> the the other movie of his that I would have immediately named. Yeah. But, um, yep. you know, he's good, you know, just sort of like he, he barely has any dialogue. Right. But it's just like playing the really aggressive, like, you know, henchman who's just got a, a vendetta, a personal vendetta against the, the hero because, you know, he killed his brother. Right. Um, it's all great. It's all great. Everything top to bottom. Um, so I think it's kind of a weird question. Does this movie even enter consideration for being beamed up or let's let, we should ask the question of like, would we beam it up? Yeah. Okay. The the first question is, is yes. Right. If either it came out today or space flicks existed, in that's the better because yeah. if this movie came out today it would be very bizarre <laughs> yeah crazy <laughs> we'd be like why are they dressed this way <laughs> right um yeah so let's say space flicks came out in 1988 uh so so practically speaking i think we're not going to beam it up because 
because the astronaut has seen this movie already. But yeah. if if Spacefix were out in the, in eighty eight, do you think you'd beam it up? Yeah, I I definitely think I would. Um, like just the fact that we can talk about it for eighty minutes, mm-hmm. and I still want to keep talking about it, and still want to think. I like thinking about it. I want to watch it again. I want to watch Die Hard two immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so. Um, it's just such a rewarding watch. Uh, for such a simple you know, seemingly like dumb movie, you know? Uh, so yeah. at any rate, I lo- just, just love it. Love it, love I, it, love it. I'm with you. I would beam it up. I think, you know what? I think it, it I, I can't really know this, but I think that if this were the, you know, the year this movie first came out and it wasn't already a classic, I think I probably would have thought of it more like in the category of like a ready or not Something mm-hmm. where I'm like, it's not a great movie or anything, but it's just like really solid, you know, and mm-hmm. like I really enjoyed it. And uh, and I don't think that I would have really had any awareness like, oh, this is destined to be a classic, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, but I still think that there's a good chance, you know, you could have convinced me to beam it up just because it was really solid. So. I guess There's I a, guess that's 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 our verdict is we would have beamed it up in 1988. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Ready or Not because in some ways Ready or Not does bear a lot of similarities to Die Hard. It's true, right? yeah. Die it's Die like, Hard in a in a haunted <laughs> uh, mansion, I guess. Die Hard in a mansion. Yeah, right? Die Hard like, in a mansion, not a haunted mansion. A mansion. Well, it is kind of haunted, I guess. Yeah. Sort of, but she's never really dealing with like. No, she's dealing with a family who are haunted, basically. Yeah, they're cursed. They're cursed. cursed. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. In a cursed mansion, right? Um, so at any rate, yeah, it's 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 sort of fun. like this is a it's a reliably good premise, right? It is. Um, yeah. Die Hard Inna or Anna. Yeah. But uh, all right, so um, just to you know, we would we would beam this this bad boy up if uh yeah yep if it had been if we had been a podcast back in 1988 that's our that's our story we're sticking with yep. it yep all right that's a wrap i think all right so thanks everybody for listening i'm adam i'm dan good night talk to you next time yeah.